This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Thanks for praying with me. Uh, I've been feeling this tension, and not the tension in my back when I get stressed, but the tension in my neck when I get stressed. No, it's not that tension either. But it's the tension between just being and not doing, but also the need of doing and just being, right? In order to be the church, in order to be the hands and feet of Jesus, it requires both finding rest in our identity and serving one another in love as the church. We want redemption to be a place to grow, a place to grow, uh, to serve, and a place to belong. And like, this is who we are and who we want to be as a church. But when it comes to our individual walks with Jesus, in order to grow, in order for transformation to come, it must not come from ourselves, but it must come from God. And I've been wrestling with just resting as a child of God and delighting in works and not being weary of doing good works, right? There's something missing in between, I feel like, and that something missing between being and doing, I believe, it's relying, relying on the Spirit. And it's important that we understand the, the role of the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity and our role of a reliance of the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus. I believe it's our reliance on the Holy Spirit that eases that tension. It's our reliance of the Spirit that allows our minds to be set on the things above and not of man. It's our reliance of the Spirit that provides joy that surpasses all understanding. Let me explain it like this. In the beginning of the year, our church got new doors thanks to our Above and Beyond campaign, uh, thanks to your generosity, and we replaced the, the front and the uh, side doors so the doors can actually open and close and function in its God-given purpose and identity. Right? Sin even affects doors. It's true. Well, most of you don't know, even when we got these new doors, they were acting like doors for a little bit, but then all of a sudden, they chose to continue on this sinful nature and stopped working, right? It would still get jammed. But what corrected the door, what made the door function properly was the most important part of the door. It was the door closer, the thing that's on the top right corner that allows it to, to be a door. I promise you, I have no investment in doors. I am not here to sell you doors. Don't ask me about doors. It could be a door salesman. That's not what God called me to do this morning. The door cannot fulfill its purpose without this door closer thing. Nothing happens to the door outside of it being connected to the door closer. We can't fulfill our purpose without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Without him, our tendency to work and try harder to earn a false righteousness, to change behavior is based on us. But when we depend and rely on the Holy Spirit, that's when our heart transforms. That's when we experience change. And so this morning, I want us to look at the promise Jesus gives on the last evening before his arrest and how transformation occurs through our reliance of the Spirit. And so if you haven't already, open your Bibles 
to John chapter 16 in a sermon we're calling Reliance of the Holy Spirit's Work. Reliance of the Holy Spirit's work. And the big idea of the sermon is this, as the Holy Spirit enables transformation in our lives to know Jesus and grow to be more like Jesus. And when that happens, it gives glory to Jesus. Our reliance and the Holy Spirit enables transformation to be like Jesus. And so we'll look at three ways the Spirit works in the lives of followers of Jesus in this passage. Here's the first one. The Spirit is sent to advocate. The Spirit is sent to advocate. Let's look at verse 4 through 7 in John chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I do not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is preparing his followers for his departure and equipping them for the animosity of the world so they would not fall away when they are pressed. The animosity of the world. I'm sure we're feeling that today, that tension. But the animosity that we feel today is also still present at the time of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. The hour has come. Jesus knew that his arrest was coming very, very soon, which lead him to his death. And so now Jesus is addressing his disciples and saying, these things need to be addressed now. They weren't ready to hear them before, but it needs to be addressed now. I didn't tell you because I was with you this whole time, but I'm not going to be with you physically at this time. So I need you to pay attention. I need you to be attentive. In verse 5, Jesus is saying, it's going to him who sent me, which is God the Father. And he's also calling out the disciples here, saying, hey, no one is asking me where I'm going, right? It's kind of important that you know. Even though it was discussed in the earlier chapters of John, but this time they didn't ask when it was the right time to ask. They were so occupied in their circumstance and not aware of the, in terms of what's de- what Jesus' departure meant and what it will accomplish. Right? They were literally with Jesus, but they weren't with Jesus. They weren't listening. They were so preoccupied with his departure and what it meant for them that they didn't have any capacity to even reflect or recognize of what this departure would really accomplish. But we can't blame the disciples here because we do the same thing, don't we? So occupied in our worries and our circumstance that we miss what God is actively doing in our lives, through our lives, or we miss what God has already accomplished in Christ. There's a sense of sorrow. Sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus is, is aware. Because the disciples were aware of the journey of them Physically being with Jesus is coming to an abrupt end. Jesus says, listen, it is for your benefit that I go. 
My going will accomplish redemption. My going will fulfill prophecies and usher a new age, a new covenant. My going will fulfill the Father's will for me. My going is good news to you. But it didn't feel like that for them. Verse 7 says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him. Other translations of the Bible say comforter or advocate. And Jesus doesn't call the helper or the uh, comforter or uh, the advocate as an it. Jesus says, I will send him. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the one true and living God. And so Jesus leaves to send the Spirit as an advocate. So two questions here. Why did Jesus have to leave for the Spirit to come? And what is the Holy Spirit advocating? Why couldn't they just come together and do work together? So the reason why Jesus departed is the same reason why Jesus was sent in the first place. The Word became flesh. The incarnation of Jesus led to the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Without Jesus coming as flesh, there is no crucifixion. The incarnation and crucifixion of Jesus on a cross accomplished the victory over death once and for all. First Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he do that? So that he may bring us to God. So that he may bring us to God. Jesus, he left his followers physically so he can make a way for his followers eternally. His death and resurrection secured eternal victory over death once and for all. And in that victory, he offers us hope, eternal life with him to all those who would believe in him in faith. The good news is not solely that Jesus came, but Jesus came and lived a perfect life so that he may be the perfect sacrifice through his death, resurrection, and ascension. He had to rise We had to die, rise, and ascend for the gospel to be good news to us. Salvation is found in Christ alone through faith. Salvation is found in Christ alone through faith. The work had to be completely finished. There's nothing else that Christ had to be done for the forgiveness of sin so the Spirit can come and glorify him. The Spirit came after Jesus has accomplished everything that he had to accomplish for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can come to God. There's nothing else to be done. And then the Spirit came and said, look, look what the Spirit has done. Look at what Jesus has done. The departure of Jesus did not lead us, did not lead to his obscurity, but it led to our certainty. Martin Luther says this, is it not wonderful news to believe that salvation lies outside ourselves. Wonderful news. Salvation lies outside ourselves due to the departure of Jesus. 
The work was completely finished. Jesus paid it all and showed his righteousness, his deity, his victory over death by walking out of that tomb three days after his death on the cross. All this for the Spirit to come to declare this, establish this good news in its entirety that has been done to the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus had to depart for the Spirit to come. And the second question, what is the Holy Spirit advocating, right? He's called the helper, the advocate, the comforter. The Holy Spirit is advocating the completed work of Jesus on the cross. His death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And what that means to us is that when we are attentive to the Spirit, we are consciously reminded of our need of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. When we rely on the Spirit, we're aware of our depravity and dependency. So he is the Spirit of God, and he will bring to you what you may need. May it be wisdom. May it be direction. May it be um, peace. May it be hope. May it be truth. He is constantly advocating that the cross was enough to me and you. In the trial, the Spirit is constantly advocating that the cross is enough. In the mundane, the Spirit is constantly advocating the cross is enough. In this pandemic, the message has not changed. The cross is enough. We have to live in constant reliance upon the Spirit, sober-minded of our need of the gospel. Our need of the good news of Jesus, it doesn't become less after we believe it, but our need ought to grow as we understand the weight of our sin against the holy God. Our need for the gospel ought to to grow deeper as we experience the living God. But we can't change ourselves. We can't just try harder to love like Jesus, though it requires actions on us. We need a heart change. We need the Spirit to transform us in the image of Jesus. So let me ask you, are we aware of our need of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Are we aware of our need of the Holy Spirit in our lives? How can we expect the Spirit of God to work if we don't desire Him to do so? Our awareness of our need ought to lead us to seek Him through prayer, through the Word, through coming together, through our conversations, through worship? Are we aware of the Spirit? Three ways the Spirit works in the followers of Jesus. The first one, the Spirit was sent to advocate. And the second one is this, the Spirit brings forth conviction. The Spirit brings forth conviction. We're in John 16, verses 8 through 11. Follow along with me. And when he comes, meaning the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. As God's people, we cannot know and grow to be like Jesus without the conviction of the Spirit. The Spirit convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I like how Frederick Bruner categorizes these as questions in his commentary. So let's look at his questions. The first one, what is really most wrong? What is really most wrong? 
when you uh, need to rent a, a vehicle for whatever reason, you you go to Enterprise and before you take the car and um, you know before they try to guilt you and taking their insurance, even though you have your insurance, but you always feel nervous when you decline it. Like, this is it. The car is going to blow up when I drive it. But I do have insurance through Christ. But they give you a piece of paper. Maybe it's an app right now. I don't know how they do it. Uh, they give you a piece of paper to report any pre-existing damages to the vehicle, right? So you make a list of everything wrong with this car, right? You should see my list. This list includes obvious things like if it's missing a steering wheel or a door, like dents or interior damage. But also, my list includes of all the wrong things with the car, right? I'm writing down even the smallest things that I see. I'm opening up the hood and pretending that I know (laughs) what to look at and writing things down like this is there. I'm writing down things like scratches that I could only see and maybe potential damages that I see. Don't ask me what that means. I'm writing down my feelings of what, the, what might be wrong with the car. Like I just feel like something is wrong with this car. And so at the end of the inspection, my list of all the wrong things with this car is pretty long. Even if you give me a, a, a new brand car, a new car, my list will still be long for this car. man, what if we had a list of all the wrong things in our world today? Right? I don't even want to, I don't even want to say this out loud because it's just depressing. COVID, cancer, starvation, poverty, sex trafficking, child abuse, racism, terrorism, drug, drug abuse. Keep going, fear, injustice, greed, misinformation, depression, loneliness, judgment, pride, self-fulfillment. Our list of all the wrong things in our world would be heavy, it would be dark, it would be evil, it would be an extensive list that we may never finish. But the number one thing, the most wrong, the root sin is this, the world did not believe in Jesus Christ and has rejected him. Rejecting Jesus as God, as Savior, as Messiah, as Lord, that is a sin. If the world does not believe in Jesus, then we cannot let the world define truth for for us. It can't uh, dictate fear upon us. The world should not define our success and direction in life. Only the Spirit of God can convict us of what is wrong and right because he was sent to advocate the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, our reality ought not to be based on the news out there. Our reality is not based on our news apps. But our reality is based in the words of Jesus. I'm not saying that we should just ignore the problems of the world. No, we should strive for peace. We should strive to love our neighbors as best as we can, strive to to give and live generously. However, a reality is the gospel. We're called to be witnesses of Christ living in this world, but sometimes we become bystanders just witnessing the world. And what happens eventually is that when we become bystanders, we start being witnesses of the world and not of Christ. We become too focused on the events of the world 
versus following the way of Jesus. We're more consumed by the news versus Scripture. We go around to our friends, family, co-workers, and we're quick to share about the world where we need to be sharing about the testimony of Jesus in our lives. We're called to be witnesses of Christ, not just witnessing the world as it passes by. Guess what? The Spirit empowers us to be witnesses. John 15, 26 through 27 says, says this, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Church, are we bearing witness of Christ? And I'm not asking you this in a judgmental way or an accusatory way. I'm asking this, all of us, as a spiritual health check. I'm asking this to myself. I'm asking to the elders of this church. I'm asking this to the people that call this church home. Are we bearing witness of Christ? I ask it out of love. Let the Spirit convict us and use us with the time that he has given But we've got the good news to share, not the world. Only Jesus and faith in Jesus allows us to see sin, see the most wrong, the most right, for what it truly is, the most wrong of the world, that is, it has rejected Jesus who came to save the world. We rely on the Spirit to bring us truth and bring change in our lives. Second question, what is really most right? What is most right? If we had a list of all the right things in the world, what would be on our list? I think it would be a way harder list to make. But what is really right? The Spirit of God was sent to show us what is wrong and what is right. That's what it means when we say the Spirit brings conviction. Jesus, going back, to the God, going back to God the Father, being obedient in his mission, is the greatest right that has ever happened in history. The work of Christ is the greatest right that has ever happened and will happen in history. Because in order for Jesus to go back to the Father, he had to be alive. He had to be victorious over sin. He had to be fully righteous because Jesus, he is fully man and fully God. If we're being honest with ourselves and we made a list of all the things right in our lives in this world, would Jesus' victory be number one on our list? Right? God has given so much to us. He has given so much to me. But we must not forget that the greatest gift that God has given is his only begotten son, who chose to lay down his life for the sake of us being with God. When we rely on the Spirit, the accomplished work of Jesus, it becomes greater and truer, and our source of contentment, our source of joy, our identity grows in this truth, right? You can't outgrow the gospel. You can't outdo the gospel. You can't do anything to deserve the gospel. The accomplished work of Jesus should be our backup plan, our present plan, and our future plan. Amen? And what I don't want to do is minimize what you may be going through at this moment. I'm not trying to just simplify things either. 
Are there people that are just tired, burnt out? There's people that are hurting or struggling who are just living in limbo without hope? People in this room, because I know I, I pray for you, I, I see and read your prayer requests. And as much as I want to fix this for you, I can't. But I can point you to the one who loves you deeply, who cares for you personally, and what's, what's best for you. The one that wants to know you intimately. The Spirit reminds us of who Christ is and how he has already solved our biggest problem, the punishment of our sin that leads to eternal separation from God in hell. And so the Spirit, even today, at this moment, maximize, fill our hearts of who Christ is. And may the Spirit remind us what Christ has already done and what he offers hope, how he offers hope today. Third question, who really won? Who really won? The world does not know Jesus. Right? So it does not believe in the work of Jesus. But that's the default of the world. The ruler of this world is referencing the devil. Satan, the father of lies, the father of deceit. The world is broken. The world is hurting. The world wages war against us. And it often looks or even feels like the the devil, the enemy, is in control. That his power trumps God's power. And it feels and appears that the devil is winning and actively gaining momentum. That's a false reality that he wants you to believe. When we rely on the world to shape our perspective of reality, it leads us away from God, his sovereignty, his presence, his peace. When we rely on the world to shape our perspective, it it, uh, leads us away from his love, from unity. But Jesus defines our reality in this verse that the devil has been judged. One version reads uh, this verse as the prince of this world now stands condemned. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this. And you were dead in your trespasses, And the uh, uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all by our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The death and the resurrection of Jesus disarmed and defeated the devil. There's no momentum. There's no power over us. Is he dangerous? Yes. Do we flee from temptation and be sober-minded that he's prowling around like a lion trying to devour us? Yes. But Jesus has already won. He has given victory over sin. Do not be fooled. And I've got a, a T-shirt that says this verse and a cross on it, and it says, Jesus beat the devil with two sticks. It makes it feel so cool wearing it. 
I still feel really cool wearing it. Brothers and sisters, this is our reality that Jesus has won, that God is sovereign and he is in control. Our lives are secured in the salvation that he offers to anyone that believes in his name. So let me ask you, are you living in the world's reality or are you living in the light of the fact that Jesus has won? Are you living in the world reality or are you living in light of the fact that Jesus has won? And what is your reality? The Spirit of God is declaring that Jesus has won already and our perspective is shaped by this truth through the Spirit of God. Three ways that the Spirit works in the lives of the followers of Jesus. The Spirit is sent to advocate sent to bring conviction. The third, when the Spirit guides in truth and brings glory. The Spirit guides in truth and brings glory. John 16, 12 through 15 says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We need need him to guide us in truth. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us in truth. The source of truth doesn't come from Articles, opinions, debates, ultimately the source of truth comes from God. And the Holy Spirit, he's not doing his own side business thing. He's not working separately from Jesus, but is in relation with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is pointing to Jesus, and Jesus is pointing to the Father, one God and three persons, fully divine in nature. He will guide us into all the truth. He will guide us to faithfully follow Jesus by showing that Jesus is really the way, the truth, and the life. He will show us that the narrow gate is better. He will guide us in truth, revealing how God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He will show us in truth, showing us that our repentance is greater than our image. The Holy Spirit is guiding us even right now as a church. Because when we gather together as his body, when we come together in prayer about songs and with an open heart, we're inviting the Spirit of God to be present and to speak. We're allowing him to speak. Speaking through worship, speaking through the word, speaking through in our hearts. It is the presence of the Spirit that allows you to experience the living God of the universe, right? We get that. It's not the production. It's not how many times the, uh, the preacher has preached. It's about the spirit. We can't lose sight of why it's important to gather as a church It's about experiencing the presence of the living God and allowing him to transform you in the image of Jesus. But we need to allow him to do that. We need to make time for him to do that. 
He guides us even when we're not gathering as a church too, right? The Holy Spirit will guide us when we meditate upon the word through our service, through our giftings, even through our times of silence, the Spirit is able to work. I know I'm guilty of underestimating the empowerment of the Spirit in my life. But Jesus said, it is for your advantage that I leave so the Spirit can come. In verse 14, summarizes the, the main mission of the Holy Spirit. The main mission of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ in all of his majesty. That's the role of the Spirit, to give him the glory. He is consistently pointing to Jesus. He is always advocating for the truth of who Jesus is in all his glory. The Spirit reminds us and helps us to know Jesus and to be like Jesus. Without him, it's an impossible task. When we're guided in the truth, when we're relying on the Holy Spirit, and we were changed by the truth. And when that happens, in our weaknesses, in our imperfections, when we choose to follow him, that's when we are giving glory to Jesus. It's not our perfection, but the Holy Spirit's perfection and how he is perfecting. But how does the Holy Spirit do this? How does he guide us in truth and how does he glorify Jesus? We're going in loops here by declaring, proclaiming, and pointing us back to the gospel. The gospel that saves sinners like me and you. The gospel that shows us the love of God for his people. The gospel that enables transformation in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. We know how the Spirit works, but are, are you allowing the Spirit to work in your life personally? Right? How do we rely on the Spirit of God? How do we do this? Here's the first one. I got three things for you. Longing for the Holy Spirit. Desiring for the Holy Spirit, right? You don't need to fully understand the Holy Spirit to long for the Spirit. If you're waiting to figure out who the Holy Spirit is and understand him completely, you'll be waiting a very, very long time. We don't have the capacity to understand the fullness of God in its entirety right now. But the Father has chosen to reveal himself through his son, Jesus, who sent the Holy Spirit to us as an advocate. We can't rely on the Spirit if we don't long for him. And I don't want us to move quickly past this, right? If you're truly looking for direction, if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for wisdom, if you desire the Spirit to work in your hearts, if you want change, take this seriously. If you want to hear from him, you have to make time for him. You need to allow him to work in your heart. You need to prioritize him, and you need to surrender to him. It is, our, it is for our advantage that he is here. And we have to see it like that in our lives based on this truth. 
longing for the Spirit. You can even pray to long to long for the Spirit. That still counts. How we rely on the Spirit of God. Second one, awareness of our sin. Awareness of our sin. That sin deceives us and promotes self-dependence versus reliance. Ask the Spirit of God to fight sin, to show sin, to reveal sin. He'll do that for you. If we're only convinced that the Spirit is a good option, it's a good suggestion, and not a necessity, then we will never fully depend on the Spirit. The awareness of our sin, being sober-minded, allows us to consciously be aware of our need of the Spirit's presence. How do we rely on the Spirit? Here's the third and final one. Rejoicing in the reality of the Word and not the world. Rejoicing in the reality of the Word and not the world. When we choose to fill our lives with the Word and choose to believe in His Word, it molds our perspective and alters our motives. Because the Word is living. It's actively working in our hearts. It is actively reading us. Romans 8, verse 9 through 11 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, and the Spirit is life because of righteousness, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the, from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit is with us. God is with us. He did not abandon us. His departure did not mean that, that, that God was done and done with uh, creation and mankind. No, the Spirit is dwelling in us. You consider Jesus as Lord. As the King of Kings, if you believe that Jesus is our hope, it is through the Spirit that secures that confidence. Meaning the Spirit dwells in you. Rejoice in that truth that we are not left alone trying to figure this out. The Spirit intercedes. The Spirit works on our behalf for the good of those who love him. And it would be a, a very hard task, an impossible task, if we were to follow Jesus without the Spirit. And that's exactly why God sent the Spirit for us. I think this truth reveals that tension that I had, relying on him. It allows me to trust him. It allows me to be led by him, to surrender to him. It desperately reminds me that God's love for me is so deep and so intimate 
because he promised his presence to be with us forever. Right? Jesus says that I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you, and I will be with you forever. That's the promise of Jesus. That's what the Spirit does for us in our lives, is pointing us constantly to the good news of Jesus Christ that changes everything, that allows our hope to be secured, allows our peace to be sure, that has no victory over death. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.